I'm delighted to welcome to the studio Amy Courtney. Amy is a neuroscientist at the MRC Laboratory in Cambridge, but originally from Dublin. You're very welcome to the programme, Amy. Thank you very much. Now, give us a little bit about your background, if you would, please. Yes, yeah, so um, I am I'm Irish. I've lived in Dublin until I finished my PhD. I did my PhD in UCD, where I was studying the evolution of nervous systems in a jellyfish-type creature. And then I moved to Cambridge four years ago to study the nervous system of octopuses. So I guess I'm a comparative neurobiologist. I like studying different animals, try and understand how brains control behaviours, and hopefully that will help us understand the human brain. Welcome. Can we start by explaining what exactly an octopus is? An octopus is from the group of animals called cephalopods. So that is the cuttlefish, the squid and the nautilus. Octopuses um, are, they have eight arms, uh, which is actually different from the cuttlefish and the squid because they have eight arms and also two tentacles. Um, octopuses have um, their brain distributed all over their body. Uh, they have a large brain in their head and then also neurons within their arms. And then their head is actually called a mantle. So this is their head and their body combined. And within their body, they have the reproductive system, their stomach, and actually three hearts as well. Three hearts? <laughs> yes. Why do they need three hearts? <laughs> they, I think one of the hearts is for the circulation in their whole body and then two of them are for the circulation in their gills, apparently. And then they have a beak as well, haven't they? Yes. A big, strong, chitinous beak that they actually can eat hard things with. They're not entirely soft. And that's all that's ever left when the rest of them have vanished. Yeah, absolutely. Because they, they usually eat like crabs and things with harder shells. So they use their beak to get in there. And they also have a tongue that has all these spikes on it and they can drill their tongue into the crab and then they can inject this toxin that will also paralyse the crab. And is crab their favourite food? Seems to be, yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so we like the octopus and we like the crab, it seems too. And are they found in all the waters of the world? Yes, they seem to be found in most waters. Uh, I study the an octopus species called Octopus vulgaris, which is known as a common octopus. And that's what you would also see around coasts in Ireland and in the Mediterranean. And this is the type of octopus if you're in Portugal in Spain and you're eating octopus probably be octopus vulgaris. So you have them in the lab there in Cambridge have you? So I also work with a lab in Belgium and they have octopus I usually work with octopus babies so the octopus babies are in Belgium and then I'm a molecular biologist so a lot of my work will be working with the DNA and microscopes so that kind of thing doesn't need live octopus. (laughs) Tell us about the lines of suckers on their arms. Some of them have two lines of suckers Others have one lion. I presume that's different species because some of them are better eating than others and you're recommended to get the one with two rows of suckers if you want something that's less tough. They seem to have, yeah, they seem to have two rows as far as I can remember. And I think it's about 300 suckers per arm as well. And the suckers do what they say on the tin. They suck (laughs) and they can attach to things. They can attach to animals. They can attach to the seafloor and they use that to crawl around and catch their prey. Now, Amy, Richard Collins is patiently waiting at home to speak with you. Richard, say hello to Amy. Hello, Amy. It's great to talk to you. You're studying the most interesting animal of all. And in Cambridge, it's a beautiful city, I must say. I think it's gorgeous. Of all the churches in the world, I think King's College Chapel is the most beautiful I've ever seen. It's perfect. It's wonderful. Although I don't like that Rubens up there. It doesn't fit in. However, what do you think? Yeah, I, I thought King's College Chapel was stunning as well. They do lovely choir services there, so I've been to one of them before as well. 
Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. God, it would rub off on you. You'd make you a genius even if you weren't one, and I'm sure you are. Richard, <laughs> we're here to talk about octopuses. We're not here to talk about churches and King's College in Cambridge. So we'll ask Amy something about octopus. <laughs> yes, Amy. Amy, uh, I wonder if you have seen Craig Foster's film, um, which is called um, My Octopus Teacher. I have, now, yes. It makes extraordinary claims. Uh, are they valid? So a lot of the claims are made are fairly anecdotal. And now I think we're kind of coming into the point where there's a lot of uh, octopus re- researchers getting a lot more popular and people are more interested. So we're now getting to dig into the more rigorous experiments to kind of figure out if those things are actually true. Now, what are the claims? Don't leave the listener or me behind. <laughs> so there's a lot of claims about, I guess, that they can recognise uh, different human beings. So in the documentary this man has this relationship with this octopus and he comes to visit him every day uh, in the sea, in the wild. Um, And there has been some research that's been done on this where they had some humans coming to visit octopuses and they had masks on so they looked the same every day. And one of the people that visited the human had um, always gave food and it was always really nice. And so they call that the nice human. And then the other person was always like poking them with a stick. And then they they noticed that the octopuses had different reactions when the different humans came in, depending on whether they're nice or not. Mm. So it did give some indication that they might be recognising them and associating them with these negative negative or positive things. And that this was an indication then of the ability of their brains to recognise. And, you know, if they had just visual, they looked different. So how did they recognise them? Was it the way they moved? Was it the smell of them? How would an octopus in a watery environment recognise a human outside? Yeah, that's an interesting question because there was actually some um, images that I saw that they tried to recreate what it looked like from the octopus perspective. And basically, they're obviously looking through the water at the human. So it's like this blurry picture of a human being. But octopuses have really amazing visual capabilities. Um, So I think a lot of people think that is happening visually, um, that they can differentiate the different patterns in the faces. But yeah, so their visual capabilities are really amazing. And this is one of the reasons they think that they're so good at uh, camouflaging into the environment. So I don't know if you've seen videos of how they can uh, change the colour and texture. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They can look like a completely different animal altogether. Yeah, absolutely. There's one octopus called the mimic octopus that actually pretends that it's like a lionfish or a snake or a flounder. So when it's in certain types of waters, then predators think that it's this other species that might be poisonous. So they won't actually try and um, eat them then in that case. Amy, if you take Craig Foster's film, now you say it's anecdotal, but he actually has footage. Now, there's such extraordinary sequences. There's one where these pyjama sharks attack his octopus, Mm. and the octopus is clever enough to get onto the shark's back at precisely the place where the shark's teeth cannot reach it. And it swims around, and he has footage of this. It's not anecdotal anymore, there's footage. Until (laughs) until it goes straight into a kelp, and then the octopus slips off quietly. This is such extraordinary behaviour, it's impossible to to think of it as other than highly sophisticated intelligent uh, behaviour and instant decision-making, extraordinary decision-making. This is in an animal that lives for only two years at most. Yeah. Now, if we look at animals that are very sophisticated, there's two things about them. They live socially, octopuses don't live socially they're solitary anti-other octopuses and they are also long-lived what's the use in having a big brain and doing all kinds of interesting things if you can't memorize it and if you can't pick up such ideas from other octopi 
this is a weird thing. How how is it possible? Does it? Are we all wrong about our theories of social behaviour and the evolution of complex behaviour, or is this some sort of extraordinary exception? How is it possible? Yeah, so there seems to be two theories of how intelligence evolved and one of them is that of social creatures so we need to have very big brains to be able to navigate like complicated relationships and also we usually we have very long lifespans we learn from our parents and all of that contributes to that but octopuses and other cephalopods which are cuttlefish and squid uh, go completely against that type of idea and so the alternative theory of why octopuses evolve such intelligence is because they do have a short lifespan so they have to be quite good at learning quite quickly So being intelligent means that you are very flexible, you can adapt to situations. So having a big brain is important for that. And also because octopuses and other cuttlefish are related to snails and slugs, they're part of the mollusk phylum. So their cousins, like snails, have shells which protect them from predators. But octopuses don't have a shell, they lost that during evolution. So their bodies are very vulnerable. So being able to evolve this intelligence meant they were better able to survive in these dangerous type of waters. But you have each octopus is starting from scratch. It doesn't have a parent to tell it what to do or Mm. uh, how to avoid danger or whatever. It's got to do everything from scratch. Mm. Now, how is it possible that it can do such extraordinary things without seeing other octopi doing it? Uh, And another strange thing about that film is that Craig Foster actually develops a relationship with the octopus and the octopus swims cautiously towards him and extends arms Mm -hmm. and he can cuddle the octopus. This is an antisocial animal. What on earth is going on? This is extremely mysterious. There must be no more interesting creature around than this. Before you answer all of that, what yeah. do you mean they have to learn all of this stuff on their own? Is the, you mean put it in context for people, Richard? We haven't all seen the movie. I certainly have. <laughs> you should. Well, it's great. <laughs> well, the movie is is extraordinary. It's a philosophical kind of reflective movie and very convincing. Now, what I think is interesting: each octopus is born. There are a million hatch out. The parents die. They're on their own. A tiny number of them survive. You are all alone on a desert island, almost sort of thing if you're an octopus. Now, you have to learn all these extraordinary skills, riding on sharks' backs, for instance, and able to leave the water. This is extraordinary too. When it's threatened by one of these pyjama sharks, it actually gets out of the water onto the land and hangs around for a while until the shark gets bored and moves away, and then it goes back in. It does strange things that Foster didn't understand, like punching fish. Why does it punch fish? Why does it decorate its den with the dead parts of its prey. I mean, it just blows all theories out of the water. Amy, what do you think? I'm lost here. Get me out of this. I I have to throw out all the theories with this animal because he breaks so many rules. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people like to describe them as like aliens on our planet because they just don't really conform to any ideas of you know, how we think a big complicated brain will look like and the type of uh, behaviours that will lead to them being very intelligent. They don't interact with their parents. They're very antisocial. They will spend their whole lives on their own and they'll just hang out in their dens and then they'll go out looking for food during the day and then come back to their dens. So that's their entire life for two years until they get to the point where they're looking for a mate. And that's the only time they really are social, if you can call that social. 
Um, but they also have cannibalistic tendencies. So if they come in contact with another octopus that's smaller than them, they will also try to eat it. Quite aggressive creatures. <laughs> you hit on an interesting idea there. People are searching for life elsewhere in the universe. Mm. You know, It seems to me that they should look at the octopus because the octopus is in an alien world and yes, it is extraordinary. Surely it implies that a life and complexity can evolve in the most unlikely circumstances. It's an interesting idea that you presented there. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think when we see like the cartoon depiction of aliens, I think you could easily see something that looked like an octopus. You know, they have this big, what looks like a head. It's actually their body and their head combined. They have these two big eyes and in between their eyes, they have a a large proportion of their brain. And then they have the eight arms that extend out. And the arms also have, as we call, mini brains inside of them too. So their nervous system is distributed all over their body which is very unusual because most of our neurons are found in our brain and in our spinal cord so another interesting thing that's been proposed is that they think that octopuses may have some level of consciousness but not only consciousness in their brain but they think that it could be distributed in different parts of their body so maybe there's some level of consciousness in their arms and some level of consciousness in their heads but that needs to be more, more I saw an interesting needed. video on YouTube where yeah. an octopus had to go through a watery maze but also had to emerge out of the water in order to get some food that was mm. left. It had to first of all realise the food was in there yeah. and then it had to make its way through this maze and it did within a couple of minutes. It was quite extraordinary and the point that was being made was that these arms are more than just a feeling apparatus. Absolutely. So there's been studies where very old studies I don't think would get ethical approval now where they've removed the arms and the arms are still able to grab for food and then point it back towards where the mouth would have been. So they seem to have a lot of autonomy. <laughs> that that <laughs> sounds like something out of a, out of a science Horror fiction movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. In fact, they can cut off their own arms if they want to. Yes. And then when they have cut off their arm, the hole that's left, they have a muscle that they just close it up so they don't bleed or Absolutely, exude any yeah. of their blue, what's called their blood? Blue blood. Because blue yeah. blood, <laughs> they have copper holding onto it rather than iron. So that they, they can detach their arms. But if the arms are so intelligent, why would they want to detach them? So one case where they will detach their arm is during reproduction. So we can get into that. It's quite interesting how they reproduce. So um, the difference between uh, male and female octopuses is that male octopuses have, they call it a sex arm. So the biological term is a hectocotylus, but they can actually deliver sperm through one of their arms. So the males will seek out the females. And as I said, they can be quite antisocial. So they have to do this tentatively. And where does it push it into the female? Let's get the whole works while we're (laughs) at it into their funnel so this then leads into their reproductive system within their head body thing that they have at the top called the mantle But this is the beginning of the end because yeah. males die after they've had sex yeah. and the females die after they've finished you know, giving birth and the, and the young are ready to go exactly, so that yeah. when the young are absolutely ready to go both the mother and father are dead yeah. and the act of making them kill them so does the yeah. octopus not know when he's approaching the age of two that this is the end and yeah. maybe stay maybe stay or do they always mate I mean if they did mate would they live to be three or four I don't know there's been some I think people are looking into that because trying to understand the hormones that are causing them that are driving them to seek out females and then and eventually that causes their death so I wonder if they took away those hormones if they would actually live longer maybe that would be an interesting experiment I'm sure that wouldn't be ethical either I'm yeah sure. probably not <laughs> we've got to let fact. them do their thing 
But I mean, are they, the octopuses are the same group as with squids and, and cuttlefish. Yeah. Now, are they mostly the smartest ones or is there, a, is there a sort of a Gaussian curve of smartness that the squids are nearly as smart and that the cuttlefish are not as smart or is there absolutely no connection at all between them? It's very difficult to say. There's just has, I think people are just fascinated by octopuses so a lot more research seems to be going into them. But squids and cuttlefish do get a lot of attention um, and there's some examples where I'll look for like an example, for example, in learning and memory. I was trying to look into like, you know, so what do we know about octopus learning and memory? And actually there's a lab that looks at cuttlefish fish in a lot of detail and they're showing that cuttlefish have like episodic like memory which means that they can remember like the when the where of d- different objects like in, in their environment. Usually highly intelligent creatures can do that type of memory but people assume if cuttlefish can do it then octopuses can also do it. Richard? Yeah the Portuguese man of war comes to uh, mind it is not a single animal but a kind of a community now you have the octopus which has a central brain and eight other brains, one in each arm so should we regard it not as an individual but as a kind of a community a kind of a committee, each part doing its own thing? Or is this an off-the-wall idea? No, I think that's that's interesting because I've always wondered if whatever happening in the brain, what's happening in the arms might disagree on some things and then which one would like win out <laughs> in that fight. Um, I guess it depends on the context and what information each one has. So... Apparently a group of octopuses is a consortium. Oh, yes. I learned that recently myself. Which is interesting. (laughs) Continue anyway, Richard. That sounds like a committee. That's why it sprung to mind, Richard. There's one thing that rather surprises me about your octopus. It's such a brilliant character, a brilliant creature. Yet the famous consciousness test where a mark is put somewhere on a creature's body and it's shown a mirror. And then, of course, when it sees it, if it's knows that it is itself that's in the mirror, Mm. it will investigate the part of the body where the mark is. If it doesn't do that, then it's a sign that it thinks the image in the mirror is of another creature. Now, this is a very antisocial creature. It doesn't tolerate other octopi near it. It should be easy to test whether or not it responds to a mirror Positively or negatively? And positively in the sense that it, th- it knows it's itself, negatively in which it concludes that the image in the mirror is of something else. Now, octopi would never see mirrors in the real world. No. Has this been done and what is the result? Yes, they actually did do this recently. Um, and I agree that it has some caveats because they are so antisocial. So yeah, they put a little dot on the octopus's head and put it in front of a mirror and they saw different reactions. Most of the time they did actually attack the mirror. (laughs) So this indicates that they may have thought that it was another octopus. But yeah, so that's obviously testing it through visual means. One other study that I saw, again, I don't think would get ethical approval today, was they chopped off the arm of an octopus and presented it with its own arm and the arm of another animal. They would eat the arm of the other animal more often than their own arm. (laughs) More often. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so in all the experiments that they tested when things it. got bad. Yeah. Well, well, well. Gives a whole new meaning. The idea of the arm. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you about personality? Mm. After all, if uh, all these animals, they are all alone, and so they develop their own way of doing things. Are there discernible personality types? 
It's a kind of Jungian introvert and extrovert kind of division. Mm. So uh, initially looking at personalities came a lot from Aquarius keeping octopuses in their aquariums and they would notice that some octopuses would be quite curious and they would work very well in the aquarium displays because you know they'd come up and interact with with people but then there'd be octopuses that would be more aggressive and more paranoid and that wouldn't really do well in an aquarium display obviously. In terms of research on this I've only seen one paper that looked at it in a lot of detail. So basically a personality just means that they you see variability in their behaviours that's consistent within an individual and that actually makes behavioural experiments very difficult because if you want to test something in an octopus then all of them are going to react differently to it and this is also why it's hard to study things in humans because we're all so different but yeah it, um, in that study it did appear that there were differences in their personality so some were more curious some were more aggressive um, so yeah that does seem to be coming out One thing that occurs to me is that they have an unfair advantage over us mammals because they evolved so much earlier than we did. Mm. We're inclined to look at the in in the non-vertebrate world, the invertebrate world, as being duller and less complex than uh, us vertebrates. Now, they have had hundreds of millions of years presumably of evolution to do before Mm. we start on the race is there any um, virtue in this kind of idea are they very bright because they have been so long uh, developing it i mean they have all kinds of things they produce venom they they produce ink all kinds of tricks and things the most extraordinary range what do you think yeah, I think that's one of the, the reasons that I got very interested in them because the last common ancestor from humans and octopuses was about 600 million years ago and it looks something like a worm. So then we have these two evolutionary paths where you get humans and other vertebrates with intelligence and then amongst the invertebrates you just get octopuses and cuttlefish and squid popping up with this intelligence. So it's like two different experiments in how to build a big complicated brain. And that's why I'm really interested in this because I want to compare, you know, did evolution figure out how to do it in the same way or has it done it in a completely different way? And what can that teach us about how brains work in more generally? Is it true they use tools? Yes, absolutely. So there's one um, octopus called the coconut octopus who will take half uh, coconut shelves and this would be in waters where there's not a lot of places for it to hide. So it would take the coconut shell Which along. It's fallen into the water, I presume. Yeah, absolutely. Climb up trees to collect the coconut. No, no. <laughs> but they can come out of water. They can yeah. come no, out of water. But I just clarified well. the, the yeah, coconut yeah. shells. The coconut the shells have fallen into the water, probably from humans uh, letting that happen. Um, and they take the coconut shells along with them. These types of octopuses are also known to be able to walk. So they use two of their arms to walk along the seafloor. And then they put the coconut shell on their head like a little um, hat. And then they're walking along the seafloor so that if predators look down, they just see this like coconut shell drifting along. So it doesn't look like there's any octopus there. It looks like just the water is bringing it along. So this is a way that they can evade predators in open waters. And some people have said that this is uh, evidence that they have the ability to plan into the future, which is a very complicated form of higher cognitive ability. So this is another way that they think that they might be quite intelligent. That is really extraordinary, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.